Welcome to Just Solutions, a podcast from Free Speech TV that features inspiring conversations with activists, community leaders and others working to make our world a better place. I'm Maeve Conran and on today's show, it's awards season for the entertainment industry. In 2015, the hashtag OscarsSoWhite went viral in response to the lack of diversity in the nominations and it prompted industry-wide discussions on the issue. But it's not just on screen where a lack of diversity is problematic. Behind the scenes, there are still significant inequities. Free the Work is an organisation that advocates for underrepresented creatives. Daisy Gonzalez is a content specialist with Free the Work, and Pamala Buzik Kim is the executive director of the nonprofit that is focused on equitable representation behind the lens. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Well, we are in awards season, of course, the Oscars and many of the other awards going, uh, doing the rounds right now. And there is this ongoing conversation and debate happening about the lack of diversity. But so much of that attention is focused on what we see on the screens. And there's a lot less known about what's happening behind the scenes and the countless workers who are involved in creating those productions and the lack of diversity in those areas as well. And so what do you think is the scope of that problem? If we're looking at what's happening behind the camera, behind the scenes, how big is the issue of a lack of diversity? Pamala, we'll start with you. Absolutely. I think, you know, making changes in front of the camera is is like almost like an instant gratification thing because people generally look for change overnight. And so doing something in front of the camera and writing characters in or replacing characters with maybe people of color or people from different sexual orientations can tend to be like a little bit of an of an easy win. So when we look at but when we look at the bigger issues and the bigger needs, um, the people behind the camera tends to be a little bit more systemic. And so that's a much larger process that we have to tackle. And I'd like to talk about the the knock on effect then if we're not having diversity behind the scenes, then what we're seeing on the screen can seem like tokenism then. If if we have executives or, or creatives just saying, well, let's just put a person of color in that role. It's not an authentic representation of the diversity of, of our society. And so it really does seem that we need to have the diversity and representation as much right from the get-go, from the you know idea being conceptualized all the way through production, or else we're not going to get that real authentic representation on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people can smell that from a mile away. I think people can smell inauthenticity like immediately. Um, like even if you look at TV commercials, which are generally 30 seconds, people tune out immediately because they know it's not for them, because they can tell exactly what you're saying tokenism is real. They can tell when it's just checking a box of like, oh, we need an Asian person. Oh, we need a black person. Oh, we need, you know, the gay best friend. Um, It's why we look at storylines that are quite a bit deep, like deeper and try to understand how these people are reflected in the story. How are they involved? Does their involvement change the storyline at all? And this goes across, you know, not just for people of color or people from different sexual orientations, this calls for gender. It also looks at military veterans and people who are living with disabilities. Well, Daisy, what has been your experience as somebody working in this industry to even break into the industry? Because I know that at Free the Work, you're working with people who have traditionally come up against barriers in trying to break into entertainment and creative industries. What's what's been your experience when it comes to this? Uh, I think the first thing is definitely maintaining a, a kind of like a center. 
because uh, a lot of that can a lot of the experiences can no matter what it is whether it's like on the extreme or on the kind of like microaggression level it's a little hard sometimes to remember that you do belong in these spaces and that um so that's like the first thing is just kind of remembering like this is you know unfortunately part of the process uh but i think a lot of what I, at least what i've encountered personally is a lot of the things that i've, I've experienced have kind of been because of ignorance <laughs> Uh, I think people just get very comfortable uh, and they get comfortable in that ignorance. And some people have been willing to embrace the change and then others really balk at it because they just don't understand it. Um, and that's not, that's a very simple way of saying it, but I think a lot of it is rooted in that. And I think uh, helping kind of find, helping people find the answers, I think will will ultimately be beneficial in the long run, not just for me personally, but for everybody who's trying to break in. Cause it's like, you know, how much more likely is it for someone uh, to have the connections or to have or to be able to even afford like the, the social economic, uh, you know, part of it, too. Um, so th those are things that you kind of are instantly faced with and you're just kind of like, well, how do I jump? And a lot of it is just meeting the right people who are willing to mentor you and, and, and guide you through the process and, and, you know, help you learn to navigate that ignorance because uh, I think that's kind of the hardest thing. And I think that's a huge thing to to emphasize that if you are not already connected to a certain network, that that in and of itself is a barrier. And it seems to be particularly prevalent in creative and entertainment industries. And Pamela, I know you personally had that experience yourself, not necessarily having those connections right from the get-go. So talk about that as an overall problem and how that creates barriers around diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the initial reasons why Free the Work was originally started as Free the Bid by our founder, Alma Harrell, because she came in and she was making art films and music videos. And then she really didn't have connections into the industry. She didn't have an uncle in the business. She didn't go to film school. And so when you're starting from behind that kind of capability, you're kind of like, well, how do I even get in? It's a little bit of a mystery. So I think that's a huge barrier. Like a lot of what we try to do is demystify the process and kind of allow a lot of networking and socializing, um, you know, not even necessarily always physically, but looking for like exactly like Daisy said, looking for those people who are willing to mentor, looking for those people who are looking to expand um, their Rolodex of people and bring other people in who don't necessarily always look like them. So those are the kind of our champions. Those are the folks that we look for. And those are some of the programs that we put in place to bring more folks in who maybe don't have those connections. And it does seem that this goes right back to the very beginning of people's careers in entertainment and creative industries. And I've seen this happen in news media as well, where very often if you are in a, if you're lucky enough to get to go to college and study this industry, you need to have an internship to really get your foot in the door. And so many of those internship opportunities are unpaid. That in and of itself creates so many barriers, because then when you graduate, not only do you have a lot of debt, you have the uh, lack of experience to even get your foot in the door or get your foot on the rung of the ladder for your career. So is that an issue as well? It's just that there are multiple barriers. It's not just not even knowing someone, but even if you were to get accepted to do an internship or an entry level position, that isn't something that most people can afford. Yeah, it absolutely perpetuates the issue and it allows the people who have those safety nets and have those backgrounds to be able to continue to rise in this part of the industry. Like it's just not it's not probable to ask people to work for free. It's why at Free the Work, we never post any internships or jobs that are like, hey, do it to get your foot in the door. We're like, no, pay people. 
Um, it's the only way we're going to be able to get more folks in from various backgrounds because we're looking at social economic barriers. Well, we often get uh, caught up on statistics and numbers. And I do want to talk about that because they're very real and quite stark. But I also want to talk about people's lived experiences and, and how, you know, a, a lack of access into these industries is creating many problems. But what are we looking at? We're talking about lack of diversity on screen. What is the reality about behind the scenes, the, the lack of diversity and representation? Daisy, you can even go into some of the Oscar nominations. And so we're seeing some highlights, but maybe not always supposed to be highlighting them because of these, because of the historical relevance of them. Yeah, it, you mentioned the statistics part of it. And I think in at least the most visible part, which is the Oscar, that's kind of what everybody knows, like, especially if you're not an industry person, uh, the statistics play such a big key because in, in a lot of ways. So the first, the first thing is the predictions. Uh, people like to do like, well, let's predict who's going to win based on the numbers. And then you kind of stop and think, well, what are the numbers based on? Are they based on who's won traditionally? Well, who, well, who, literally, what is the anatomy of a winner? Um, it's typically white. It's typically male. It's typically, you know, th there, there's very specific instances. And so the statistics from the get-go don't favor filmmakers or films that are about uh, excluded people. Like, they just, they just don't. So that in and of itself, I think, is something people haven't quite come to terms with, is that the, the statistics on their own are... are, are I don't want to say problematic because that's such a that's such a word, but it's just like they're not um, they're not a, a really accurate measurement of how of who would honestly be deserving to be getting that trophy. Uh, and on the other end of it too, the it's who's having these conversations, right? So you mentioned earlier of like how even going getting into journalism that can be difficult and it's overwhelmingly white. It's the same thing. Who are the pundits? Who are the majority of the pundits having these conversations and influencing these voters to vote a certain way? And it's not like the, it's not like there's an agenda or anything, but it's just like a lot of that is is ideas that are kind of inherent for, for a lot of people and they don't even realize it most of the time. Some people do, but like most people don't. So I think that in and of itself is kind of a that's a separate thing. And then in the and specifically in, in this season, uh, with the with with the network's decision to omit eight of the artisans categories, you now have this 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 dynamic where the favor kind of goes to the to the in front of the camera because I don't know I don't know if it's because there's a lack of understanding of how important the visibility behind the camera is or just the, the lack of value, but the there's a lot of um, nuance behind these conversations because if we you know like I, I, obviously there's a disrespect to the artisans because that's that's you know it's I, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to to not give them their time in the spotlight but there's also just the fact that we, if you don't see those 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 roles being awarded and those roles being present or just even understanding on a basic level what they are you're not seeing the problem because then they can just it, it just it just goes away so if it's not visible then it's not an issue um so Sorry, I just threw a lot at you, but I think it's all kind of tied together. And I, I, I really do think that um, the way that we talk about the statistics also has to change uh, because we can't solely rely on that to make predictions and we can't solely rely on that to make change uh, because the, the, the statistics are always going to be biased uh, in some way or another. You bring up some really excellent points, Daisy, and, and it really, to me, gets back to representation. If you don't see that this is happening or not happening, 
it's very difficult for action to be taken. But also, if you don't see that these jobs are there, that there are people like me doing these jobs and being recognized by these awards, it's hard to almost conceptualize yourself wanting to be in that space as well. I mean, what was your experience growing up as a, a young person wanting to break into this industry? Did you see people who reflected your life experience doing this work? I mean, I think it almost gets to that fundamental level. If we don't even conceptualize ourselves in these spaces, that's the first barrier we almost need to overcome. Uh, to answer your question, no, I never I never did, or I rarely did, because uh, obviously there are a few folks who did manage to break in, but it, it, it kind of jumps into pigeonholing and they get pigeonholed in specific roles or into specific types of films. Um, but on the other hand, too, it's... Uh, <laughs> The, every time people talk about this when it comes to movies or shows, the, the first retort back is, well, make your own thing. And I'm like, well, I would if I could. Uh, that's like the first thing. The second thing is, <clears throat> I think people sometimes don't understand that we, or a lot, of, a lot of folks that are members of excluded communities have had to learn to relate to the, to the majority characters that are portrayed on screen and don't stop to think, hey, you know, maybe I could do that if I was watching somebody else that doesn't look like me on screen. I think people, for some reason, a lot of folks who tend to have that argument against representation don't seem are kind of, I don't know if it's incapable of empathy, that's a little aggressive to say, but I think um, I, I think that 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 lack of wanting to understand others, because at the end of the day, there's stories and we're humans and those, the stories are, are relatable no matter what. Like if I have for the last like, what, 20 or so years, have been able to relate to all of these white characters. Why can't they do the same? Uh, and that's a that's a more hypothetical question. But I think growing up, it does it does affect you to not be able to see yourself. And it doesn't have to be an exact version of yourself because I think even that phrase has been kind of co opted in a weird way. Uh, I think it's just seeing people like you have similar struggles that are still that still feel universal. And I think there's countless examples, at least in the last six years, that of, of films and storytellers that have been able to do that and they resonated worldwide. So I, to answer your question, yes, it does have a really big effect. And I think a lot of the reason why a lot of us choose to be here is just because we love storytelling so much. So it, it, it fuels us more than anything. You're listening to Just Solutions, a podcast from Free Speech TV. Our guests today are Pamala Buzik Kim and Daisy Gonzalez from Free the Work, a nonprofit that advocates for underrepresented creatives, especially those working behind the camera. The recently released UCLA Hollywood Diversity Report says that while there has been notable rise in on-camera representation in top films over the past decade, there has been a relatively slow growth in behind-the-scenes roles for people of colour, particularly women and particularly Latinos. Free the Work aims to amplify those voices. You can find out more at freethework.com. And you can find out more about us and watch past episodes at freespeech.org. And don't forget, subscribe to this podcast and never miss an episode.
Well, Pamela, there's often a focus on the problem, which we absolutely need to dig into. But then we don't often have time to talk about the solutions. And part of the solutions that has uh, emerged is the organisation that you're the executive director of, that Daisy is part of, Free the Work. So tell us a little bit about the, the inception of that. You touched on it a bit earlier, but why it is so important and what it is that you do. Absolutely. And, and that's also why we love this show because it is called Just Solutions. And so we always, we kind of have the same philosophy where it's like, if we continue to talk about the problem, we're going to be in an echo chamber. And also it becomes like it falls on deaf ears at some point in the sense of, you know, if people just keep hearing what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, or how they're doing it wrong, then at some point they just start to tune out. And so what we really try to look for is how can we make small incremental changes within the hiring process? So how we began was in advertising, in case you're not aware. So for every TV commercial you see, they bid three directors against each other. And so what Alma noticed was that she was always only the female bidder, if at all, in that bid. And as we know, like with baseball, you you can't, the less time, the more times you get up to bat, the more chance you have of getting on base. And so what she did was she implemented a very simple rule that for every triple bid, there'd be one female director at the time. Um, we've since expanded that. So now it's for every triple bid, there's one underrepresented creator. And what this does is it doesn't award them a job. It doesn't give them the job. It just gives them the chance to also be in the mix. And once you start to be in the mix more, you start to get more familiarity. Your name starts to get more present. You start to learn how to pitch better. You start to understand what clients and and studios and everyone's looking for so that you're better equipped to have that conversation. And you start to really look at the structure of creativity because at the end of the day, we are in a creative business and we can't tell people who to use. You can't tell people who to hire, especially A, we don't want quota hiring. And then two, we wanna do recognize it is a creative business and it can be subjective and we want people to get there. Nobody who's from an underrepresented community, including myself, wants to be given something. We always want to earn it. We want to know that we were able to, you know, be in the shuffle and be kind of part of the ex the exposure and the process. And so what we do is we really try to uplift underrepresented creators and say, look who you haven't discovered yet. Maybe you have the chance that everybody always goes back to the same list when they're crunched for time or they're crunched on budget. They're going to go with something safe and safe usually means somebody that they know of that they've already used before. But if they keep going back to that list, it's going to be the same people that they keep awarding that commercial to or that film to. And so we see the same names over and over because people are looking for that safety. And so then this puts an opposite kind of effect on those who are not as known or those who are underrepresented as either being risky or under budget or inexperienced. And so those are some of the stereotypes that we find. And by doing that, we by fighting that, we uplift creators and say, don't you want to be the person that discovers the next Spike Lee? Isn't that much more of an exciting creative endeavor than going back and using the same folks with the same stories over and over? And also, when you do the same story over and over, that story becomes a lot less special. And so we're seeing that's why you're seeing the same things over and over. There are so many stories to be told from so many different points of view that can bring so much more consciousness and empathy to the world that we live in if we actually just expand our Rolodex of who is in you know, our realm and our world. So a lot of what we look at is one, hiring practices. How do we make those small little changes like we did in the one and three for commercials? And then secondarily, how do we raise up all these underrepresented creators from around the world and let people know what they're missing out on? 
because that's a big part of it is feeling like, what are you actually missing out on? Like if you did not know about this, like everybody wants to know about the latest restaurant that's really good. Everyone wants to know about that book that, you know, before everybody started reading it. So it's sort of the same kind of idea. It's like, look at this amazing creator's work that, you know, got signed for, you know, who created Euphoria in Israel before it even came to the States. Don't you want to know about that person before it becomes, you know, before everyone knows? So that's kind of a lot of how we work it as our solutions, especially being in such a subjective creative industry. And when we talk about representation and diversity, I mean, we, we've touched really on lack of representation when it comes to race, ethnic background, gender. But there's many other life experiences and realities that are simply not represented as well. You know, talk a little bit about that, Daisy, you know, the, the folks who are working with you through Free the Work, about the, the vast array of life experiences that often are not represented on the big screen or the small screen. I think, I mean, the biggest, <clears throat> I guess it's kind of a hot topic now because one of those shows is nominated, but I think the disabled community has had a disadvantage in a lot of ways in how they're portrayed because one, there aren't creators from those communities that are involved in like, I also have to kind of clarify, like um, none of these communities are monolithic. So even though I am signaling out this community as a whole, there are different factions of it and there's different intricacies that go behind um all these different experiences um and so there is a bit of a um so i think that's kind of the first thing people have to recognize is that when even though there's films like quota that are breaking ground and it's and it's great and a lot of what they're doing with that film is i think kind of a good way to start uh people have to remember that this isn't like this isn't the definitive movie there's always going to be more options and i think that a lot uh, like a lot of the issues and why we don't see more more of other groups that have these stories like undocumented folks who don't have uh their stories being told in a way that that feels relatable to them uh it's just because they're, we're not letting them in the room and i think i mean it, it, it's similar to what we've been talking about but i think um the the fr from the people in charge and from the people greenlighting these things there there has to be more attention paid to how we're telling these stories and actually actively doing something whenever they're called out because i think a lot of the time people fear that cancellation and fear you know just fear being told that they're being that they're doing this wrong and that they're being offensive and i think instead of being afraid they should just embrace and listen and then actually do something proactive about it and i think that's kind of the part where we're not quite there yet in the conversation, we're getting there. But I think that fear, it, 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 I keep mentioning the fear, but it, it really is. It's a big fear a lot of industry people have that, that they just choose to run away from. And I think that that has a lot to do with why other communities aren't being able to kind of step in and have their time in, in sharing and beginning to share these stories. You know, you said something earlier, Daisy, that was really poignant to me that when you were young and growing up, you had to see yourself and all of these white characters and all of these characters that were so far removed from your own lived experience. And yet you did it. And there's this barrier to the, you know, generic white audience saying, well, I, I don't see myself reflected in that other character where so many other communities have had to always see themselves reflected 
in, in white characters. And so what is the overall impact when we don't have diversity behind the camera, behind the screens? Because that then, of course, you know, trickles up to representation and diversity on the screen. I mean, what is the overall impact on young people, on society as a whole, when we're not really showing the full breadth and wealth of life experiences? And we have such a narrow view that that's being reflected on the big screen and the small screen. I think it just tells you that you don't belong, like just straight up. And it doesn't matter what that looks like. You could not belong in a trade job. You could not belong in like, a you know, at a four-year college. Like it doesn't matter. It just, it just, it tells you that in the place where you live in, you don't belong. And considering the times that we're living in right now, that that rhetoric just has to change. Uh, people can't continue to feel like they're not welcome in spaces and that they can't dream as big as anybody else. Uh, and it sounds very cheesy and dramatic, but I mean, like, it doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to do. If you don't see yourself on screen, you're not going to get the respect because it paints perceptions of what you are. And if people keep telling these stories that are filled with stereotypes that aren't correct, then that's how, that's the first impression people get of you. That's the thing that they assume of you. Uh, like, yes, stereotypes come for a reason. But I think that if we don't move past those things, then it becomes very dangerous for a lot of groups, especially any, like just any that are facing any kind of violence or, or you know, threats to rights, it becomes very dangerous for those people to be able to, to just live their lives. Because uh, it's not about adaptability so much as it is just having the right to exist. And again, this is very, this sounds, um, it, the, the, the stories that we tell do impact the way we perceive other people. And it's why it's such a powerful medium. I mean, if it was if if it was easy, I think they would just let anybody do it. And I think there's a reason why folks aren't allowed to be in these spaces because they know the impact that the stories do have on the way we're perceived. Well, Pamala, I know the there's a huge economic impact, and the Hollywood Reporter and and UCLA have both done reports into this. When it it comes to how much money is being lost because of the lack of diversity, when you think of how many different communities are out there that if their stories are not being reflected, that that's actually a huge economic loss for the industry because people aren't necessarily going to want to consume that media. Absolutely, because when you look at the world at large, I mean, sixty percent of our globe is Asian. You know, so when we're only coming from a center of whiteness and we're not telling any other types of stories and we're looking for global kind of intake of our stories, it's really trying to understand like, yes, what is the heart of the story and does it relate to every human being and can every human being relate to it back? But also just like, are they like exactly what we're talking about? Are we seeing ourselves in it? And again, it, if you have the same story over and over and over with the same folks, it makes it feel less special. So then those people are less special. And so it's one of those things like we just need more diverse storytelling. And we just we know for a fact that we know two things. We know that even when you look at stats on like YouTube shows, some of the highest rated YouTube shows are the ones that have the most diverse audiences. Um, we also know secondarily that when you put a diverse storyteller behind the camera, you almost 100% of the time have more diversity in front of the camera. And that is across TV, that's across TV, advertising, and film. Those two things in itself are so incredibly strong. I don't know why people are still hesitating. And it's, again, I think people are just trying to, you know, cover their own butts in a lot of ways because 
it's easier to go safe and get the middle than it is to, you know, in their minds, take a risk and actually, you know, portray and receive the accolades that a diverse story deserves. Well, there's a lot more information I know on the website for free the work. Uh, people can find that online. And that is for all kinds of creatives, folks working really behind the scenes. Is that right, Pamela? Yeah, it's really, you know, we started with uh, female directors in advertising. We have since expanded in 2019 to all of those who are underrepresented behind the camera. So we use underrepresented because we are global. So who's underrepresented in India is different than who's underrepresented in South America. But in the US, we're looking at people of color, uh, creators living with disabilities, military veterans, female identifying, non-binary, and our LGBTQIA plus community. And when we say behind the camera, we really do mean anybody who's pretty much behind the camera. So directors, editors, composers, colorists, DPs, et cetera. Um, and we continue to expand. I think we're gonna be opening up to uh, photographers in a month, which is super exciting. And so you can always go to freethework.com. You can sign up for a free profile. And we make sure that we try to get you in front of as many uh, hires as possible. Well, Pamela and Daisy from Free the Work, thank you both so much for being with us today. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate your show and what you're doing. You've been listening to Just Solutions, a podcast from Free Speech TV. Our guests today were Pamela Buzik Kim and Daisy Gonzalez from Free the Work a nonprofit that advocates for underrepresented creatives. Find out more at freethework.com and find out more about us and watch past episodes at freespeech.org. Engage with us on social media, join the conversation and let us know your thoughts. Hashtag just solutions at freespeechtv. Subscribe to this podcast and never miss an episode. For Free Speech TV, Just Solutions, I'm Maeve Conran.